0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective.
2: Welcome to Earth Station 1, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hi there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are here with ghosts and ghouls and really cool vampires this week. It's the countdown to Halloween, and this time out, we are looking at The Lost Boys, the 1987 classic. It's weird to say classic with The Lost Boys, but yeah, it's a classic in some ways. And speaking of a classic, my favorite vampire who stays up all night and sleeps all day is Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy, sir. Howdy. How are you? Well,
3: you know, we are, this is week two of the countdown to Halloween and uh, another spectacular episode. Had a lot of fun last week. And you know what? Gonna have a good time tonight.
2: Oh, yeah. Rock and roll music and stay up and party all night. It's awesome.
3: Yeah. Come on. Come on. (laughs) It won't take long. Only take a minute just to sing my song.
2: Wow, somebody has lyrics up in front of them, I can tell.
3: <laughs> you don't know it all by heart? I mean, everybody heard that song, right? Oh,
2: If you were alive then, Ashley didn't, because she wasn't around yet.
3: Yeah, we'll get into that. But uh, yes, now, uh, once we, you know, if you've seen Lost Boys recently, and you should, because uh, we're reviewing it here, we're going to do spoilers, of course. Um, but uh, the music's going to stay with you. And uh, oh, yeah. two songs in particular, uh, and the NXS and Jimmy Barnes song is was everywhere back then. And uh, yeah, it's going to be in my head for a while
2: too. Oh yeah, most definitely. And, you know, makes me realize I need to get a new copy of that soundtrack. It is just, it's just awesome. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. You know, tell us what you thought on this movie. Tell us how your Halloween season is going. What have you guys been up to? Definitely would love to hear from you. And, you know, don't forget, we are up on almost major... You know, audio players, wherever you listen to podcasts, Earth Station One is there and we're growing. We are now even up on Amazon.com. So all you have to do is go, hey, Alexa, play the Earth Station One podcast on Amazon Music. You're welcome. So I just wanted to do that for you. And, you know, just want to say thanks. Also, big thanks to our patrons. Uh, Wanted to definitely give a big shout out to our patron of this week, Alan O.W. Barnes. Thank you, Alan. We do appreciate you. And hopefully you're doing okay, surviving. And Alan is a patron and he, you know, could be a, you could be a supporter too. For as little as 25 cents a week, you could become a patron of the ESO network. We have four tiers. We have a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, or $15 a month. Each level gets different swag, different rights, different privileges, but you get, you know, Everyone who joins and helps supports the ESO Network, you know, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network, and you can get some really cool stuff, including coming next week, the new episode of ESO Board Silly. So you get to hear us talk about Halloween tales and stories. It should be a lot of fun. And, you know, definitely... We thank you for everyone who is there to talk about Patreon and, you know, helping support the ESO network. That's right, folks, patreon.com slash ESO network. Also a big shout out to our sponsor for this week, which is Tofosi Optical. Tofosi Optical has really cool sunglasses, gamer glasses, and of course, safety glasses. And all you have to do is go to Tofosioptics.com, put in the code ESO network and you get 10% off your order. Not just of an item, but off your order. Please help support Tofosi Optical. They've got really cool glasses for very affordable prices. And you know what? Even if you have a prescription, they can help you out with that. So check out our friends at Tifosi Optical at tofosioptics.com And now we're here to talk to actor, writer, Pat Jenkowitz. Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, thank you, fellas. a pleasure to be here. Absolutely.
3: Thanks. Welcome to the station. Wow. Mike and Mike. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduction. Uh,
4: okay. Um. I, I guess I'm a, a writer, General Blowhard. I've done some movies and some commercials, and uh, uh, I've written some books. I've written some articles, and I've done a little of this and a little of that. Does that help? Yeah, and a lot of a lot of
3: well, in particular, I mean, this is our one of our countdown to Halloween episodes, so definitely interested. I'm honored
4: to be here. I love Halloween.
3: Yeah, and definitely interested to talk to you about that because I think you know, with your experience both acting in them and you know uh, writing about them for Fangoria and the books that you've written, I'm eager to get your take on the genre of horror. How long have you been interested in in horror?
4: I was a kid you know in detroit growing up we had uh, a bunch of horror hosts you know it's more of a midwest thing where the horror hosts on the midwest are all guys you know what i mean i think it's the same for you guys right you you have in detroit we had like the ghoul we had sir graves ghastly you know they and then when you come to the west coast all the horror hosts are women you get like elvira you get right. this misery Vampira. You get uh, uh, Ivana Cadaver, who I have a story of, in the new issue of Booze and Blood. You know, it's all—it's funny because I don't know if you guys have an Atlanta horror host right now, but all the all the Midwestern horror hosts look like Smenguli, basically—they have the physique of a butcher. You know, they're dressing <laughs> in bulky clothing, and and you know where when you come to the coast, it's all women. You know, and
3: well, and yeah, and and I oh. know that.
4: Yeah, and I would have grown up watching Sir Graves, I'm sorry, and watching all the horror movies with your brothers on the oh, Saturday course. afternoon, right, you know? Right, right.
3: Um, and and definitely, um, you know, I've got some uh, family in the Midwest, and uh, of course the upper Midwest in the 80s and everything, I, it makes me think of, you know, some guys who did that similarly, which are the the Raimi
4: clan, right? <laughs> right, very good, I see where you're going <laughs> with this, Yeah. Sam, Sam and his brothers Ivan and Teddy, and Bruce Campbell would appear on the local horror show. You know, and when I was a kid, I met Sam Raimi, and he was like chain smoking at his at his uncle's. He was he was a local celebrity even then because he would appear on The Ghoul. And so, as a kid, I recognized him from one of his eight millimeter movies on The Ghoul. You know, and that was the first time I met him. And I later, I later, because I'm from Detroit, like they are. Later on, I spent a summer hanging out at uh, Renaissance before Renaissance was like a mega corporation on the universal back lot. They had a little dingy office in Hollywood. and one of the one of the coolest dudes after I interviewed Ramey and Rob Tappert and those guys and ramy's mom I interviewed the the late great Celia ramy, you know a wonderful wonderful woman their their mom tim Timothy. Timothy uh, uh, Patrick, who I'm blanking on his last name. Timothy Patrick Quill, the wonderful guy. He's the cop who tries to stop the guy who eventually shoots Uncle Ben and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And he's the blacksmith in Army of Darkness. So I was a kid, and Tim was, was sympathetic to a couple of kids in Michigan, my brother Don and myself. And he let me hang out at Renaissance all summer long, you know? And that was the same summer I started running articles and selling them and all this. So the Raimi's the Raimi's and Rob Tappert were amazingly great people and I'm sure they still are. I mean, I last talked to Sam over some interview about the Spider-Man movies. But they're the politest you won't find a more polite uh successful A-list director. I mean, Sam Raimi, when you interview Sam Raimi, he'll ask what you want to drink and he won't bother his assistant He'll get up, walk down the hall, and get you your 7 up himself, <laughs> you know.
3: Yeah, there's something about there's something about particularly filmmakers and people from the Midwest that just seem to be like really accessible that way.
4: They're completely a, they, they they have a completely a hole free existence, and then that <laughs> the, you know they were raised Midwestern, so you know what I mean. I mean, Ramey is always unfailingly polite, and one of the more charming aspects is when he forgets your name, he'll call you Chief. How you know, all the, it just did great. <laughs> right. <you know>? right. <laughs>
3: um, tell us a little bit about your, your experience from, from, you know, liking or, you know, getting really into and writing about horror to actually getting to be in some horror movies.
4: Well, it's kind of a trip, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, um, I'm pretty tall. I'm like six foot nine and in college, I wrote a commercial with my brothers Don and Tom for David Lynch, that David Lynch directed, and that got me my SAG card. And so once I got my, I was trying to get into the WGA, and it, it put me in SAG, which turned out to be a, a lucky break, because I I've been again in college. I'd been running for uh, I've been running, I've been running a lot for the British. I, I had written for like a magazine called Starburst. I'd written for, like, a bunch of comic book magazines. I wrote for the last year of Wizard. Have you remember the last year of Wizard when they owed everybody money? I actually got paid <laughs> right. for half my work. <laughs> the other, uh, the other guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. They would call and say, hey, do you mind talking to uh, uh, Jim Lee for 45 minutes? Um, no, that sounds fine. <laughs> it's like, Jim Lee. <laughs> you know what I mean? you don't geek out on the phone call or or in in person, you know, you just sit down, you ask a bunch of questions. And and it's funny because my wizard editor, I just saw my wizard editor about six months ago at the, at the after party for robot chicken anniversary party. And it's like, and we're, we're scarfing down Trejo's tacos and Trejo's donuts and drinking really expensive wine. And it's like, can you believe wizard magazine got us here? You know, Oh, I'm the weird thing is, once you have your SAG card and once you have an agent, uh, you start. I wanted to do horror movies. I wanted to do more horror movies, but my agents make so much money. In my, my I was with Commercials Unlimited and limited, like a couple other agents that when when low budget horror movies start calling for you, they would literally hang up. And it's like, Randy, you can't hang up. You know, my my sweet, wonderful agent. She's terrific, Randy. But people would call for me in horror movies, and she would hang up. And she goes, "Oh, honey, horror movies are junk. You want to do more commercials? Because she's right. Commercials pay really, really well. But the only genre stuff I was getting from her is uh, I did a Twilight commercial for Burger King for one of the Twilight movies, where I'm fighting <laughs> with a I'm a construction worker, 40 feet off the ground. We shot at a real construction site. I'm team Jacob and I'm fighting with uh, uh team. Who's the vampire? Edward. Edward yeah. Uh, I'm fighting. <laughs> yeah. We're 40 people. Let, let the record reflect Donald knew who my brother Donald knew who Edward, the vampire was. <laughs> I swear to God I didn't, but uh, we're fighting in a girder until, until like uh, burger King, you know, the creepy burger King with the metallic body and head.
2: Oh God. Yes. He's scared the crap mm-hmm. out what? of me. <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, but he floats down on a girder. He floats down on the girder and hands me a whopper, and that that brings it. That helps us make. Pe- He's almost as tall as I am in that metal mask, and he would make you laugh. He would they, he would make money. He was painted his lead in every commercial he was in. That guy, I can't. I'm blanking on his name, but he would he would literally swing by you on the girder and go, Luke, I'm your father, and make us both laugh. <laughs> you know. Uh...
2: Oh, that's awesome.
4: And, and you're, you're eating – oh, no, no. You know what's awesome? Three hours of eating a Whopper. Uh, had a oh, spit bucket oh, for oh, God.
2: I can't even – And I was pausing on every
4: Whopper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a cute girl comes up on a ladder, on like a cherry picker, to empty your spit buckets after like two hours of shooting. And the guy I was with was like half my size. And his spit bucket was full of hamburgers. And she looks at mine and she goes – Honey, aren't you using your spit bucket? And I go, I'm eating them. You're kidding? Free whoppers. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and the worst part is my brother teasing me about this. Then, about the third hour, they said, Burger King goes, I got some bad news for you, Pat. And I go, What? The food stylist, they, the, the food stylist said, The food stylist was painting up my food, you know, that what non toxic, you know, you can oh. eat what they're putting on it. But the, the creative the creatives are there and the creatives and then the Burger King Corporation people are go tell Pat to look at them and admire them like Wimpy on the Popeye cartoons. I go, You don't want me eating them anymore? You know, I'm more than happy to eat your Whopper. No, no, no. <laughs> and they explain Pat's hands are so big and his mouth is so big, he's making them look like Whopper Juniors. <laughs> <have something> <laughs> I almost hurled myself off the girder and and, and, and sadness, fellas. That was a terrible day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I definitely want to hear...
3: um, I know we don't have, you know, a lot of time with you, but I want to hear... uh, Because you've done so many things with horror movies. I want to uh, get a good story that you've uh, been... From one of your horror, uh, horror movies that you worked on. Oh,
4: okay. Let's see. Um... Well, I you know, I'm really proud I, I as a child, my family growing up in the Midwest, my parents took us to every state. Uh like forty seven out of fifty states we'd go camping in. And my my mom's side of the family lives in Seattle. And it was up in Seattle where it was probably like seven or eight. I had the crap scared out of me when I realized Bigfoot lived in the Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah. And from that point on yeah, see? But Bigfoot was going to rip open the tent and kill my entire family. <laughs> hopefully, them slunk me down while I ran for safety for myself. But uh, <laughs> that was my dream, anyway, that Bigfoot. While tearing apart my brothers, I would run behind the nearest tree and hopefully get a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and then, you know, you see Boggy Creek, and then there was – Detroit Television ran for years and years. They would run – That scary, mysterious monster is hosted by a slumming Rod Sterling. where he would talk about the the Sasquatch, blah, blah, blah. And if Rod Sterling tells you there's a GD Sasquatch, there's a GD Sasquatch. We we were camping in Bigfoot country. We would camp in Bigfoot country, you know, and I would be up half the night every time, every time, you know, you'd hear a rustling. I wasn't worried about bears. I was worried about a a man like ape ripping open my tent and eating us alive. You know, and uh, uh, happily that never happened. Although uh, uh, getting to be Bigfoot was a big damn deal for me. You know, getting, once you get cast as a Bigfoot and they fly you to Colorado and you're literally, you're literally sitting behind a tree, you're behind a tree in a monkey suit waiting to jump the blonde from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That Life does not get better than that, fellas. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That is, uh, yeah, and that was, a yeah, I remember Bigfoot was a real fear back in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, hell right.
4: yeah, he was. And, and to be a Bigfoot, and the, the great thing is I was really touched because, I mean, Bigfoot scares the hell out of me. I mean, even today, the idea of an ape walking into your tent. But to be in a Bigfoot movie, you guys have no idea how big a deal that was. And you've seen so many ball Bigfoot movies. I was really excited because Unlike most Bigfoot movies, you would have heard of my victims. I mean, I got to kill Brian Thompson. How cool is that? You know? <laughs> that is cool. <laughs>
2: Not anybody and could say way, that. He's
4: so cool. Yeah, and he'll do if you ask him politely, he'll do his speech from Cobra about the new flesh. <laughs> <laughs> remember he's the serial killer in Cobra. So no, I remember at the, at his, birthday, his birthday party at the rap party. We were all a little drunk, so the stunt people kept going up to him and asking him to do the speech from Cobra. He must have done it like 10 times that night.
3: <laughs> that's funny, that's that's awesome. The um, I think uh, before we get into the geek seat because we're strapping you in the geek seat for the geek seat questions, um, <laughs> definitely, um, you know, in addition to your acting, I do want to spotlight uh, your, your writing, particularly. Uh, the Jaws companion, just when you thought it was safe, uh, very great. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot said about this movie, but I think your book uh, fits in pretty well with um, with the the great ones.
4: So... Um, you. you know what? i got to tell you, Mike, Mike and Mike, the greatest thing to be said to me is Mike uh, is uh, Carl Gottlieb, who wrote The Jaws Log, which I think is the best book ever written on any movie. Yes. Yes. He wrote my book which is on all four of the Jaws movies. And he said to me, he goes, I couldn't believe it. He goes, you had stuff about the Jaws franchise in there that even I didn't know, you know? And and when I heard that, it's like praising the master, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, when you call it a Jaws companion, that's exactly what it is. It's a great companion piece to his book, as well as, uh, you know, some of the great making of documentaries that have been out there. So, and that had to come from a place of, that had to come from a place of passion. You must, you must love, I mean, I love Jaws, but you must really love Jaws.
4: (laughs) You know, it was one of those things, it was one of those things that it was Jaws had like a hundred re-releases, you know, they really released it again and again and again. And you know and i was too little when it came out and then eventually my mom said uh, uh my my mom finally caved on one of the re-releases and we saw it at the drive in and it was you know it, it'd been out for a few years but to finally see it at the drive in it was like it was the it was the first horror film i'd ever seen at the drive in i mean our family had been going to the disney volkswagen movies you know what i mean and this was mm-hmm. not herbie this is scary i think <laughs> you know <laughs> So it was it was one of those horror movies, and it is a horror movie. When I was a publicist at Universal, we I I was in charge of like working on monster projects like the Tremor sequels and stuff, and I would always say, "Well, let's advertise Jaws with this," and they would go, "Jurassic Park is a thriller, Um, uh, Jaws is a thriller," Steven Spielberg himself. And it's like Steven Spielberg himself, a shark is eating a kid on a raft. That's a horror movie, but I was outvoted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I'm, I'm with you. I... Thank you. It's a, it's a fish eating a kid on a raft. Oh, That's yeah. horror, okay? That's horror 101
2: that's not even
4: yeah
3: and most of the movies that in that it inspired are considered horror movies uh like you the first movie the first horror movie i saw in the drive-in uh because i was i watched those herbie movies too herbie goes money carlo at the drive-in or whatever mm-hmm. the first time my family went to a horror movie was prophecy and oh, that's I just prophecy. A...
4: I freaking love... you're talking with the killer barrel right yes
3: yeah the bear one so yeah, and, uh, and you know, I mean, that's pretty much like
4: just Jaws in the Woods. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Let me tell you a story about prophecy. Um, I booked a commercial for Coca-Cola where my brother and I play Neanderthals. My brother, daughter, and I were Neanderthals. I, didn- I do this thing where I can run as fast as a dog on all four limbs, which also helps get creature work when nobody can – The weird thing is not a lot of, nobody can do this. They have to cheat it in movies like Planet of the Apes. So when you can really run on all fours, they usually make you (laughs) a single monster. I I was up for one of the, uh, I I was up for one of the wrong turns and I did that for them. And they're like, if only we could teach them all to run on all fours like that, but it would look too distracting to have one guy running. It's like, come on, you know? (laughs) <laughs> so, the Prophecy, uh, Tom Berman did my live cast. Berman is the father of Rob Berman, who worked on John Copper's The Thing, and Barney Berman, who did Star Trek. And so, Tom Berman did all the Planet of the Apes movies. You know, he was the guy who, he was one of the guys, one of the two guys who came up with it. Tom Berman is also suspected, but he assures me it's not him. He he was suspected of being the Bigfoot in the legendary 1967 Roger Patterson footage that scared all of us watching it as kids in different yep. documentaries. Yep. You know, because he worked with John Chambers. Guys like John Landis will swear to you that John Chambers built the Bigfoot. I don't ever want to know because I think it's so scary looking. I'd rather it be real, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I just went off topic. But hold on, let me walk my way back. Yeah, so so Berman, the Berman Studios, in, when they're in Burbank, I go there and they have posters for everything. And I go to the urinal and I miss the urinal because I'm looking at the Devil's Reign and Prophecy posters in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, uh, it was so exciting. So I'm, when they're doing my makeup, uh, when they're doing our live cast, Tom is really cool. His son, Rob, was there who as a teenager worked on Prophecy. And, you know, Prophecy, that was the Prophecy bearer was Kevin Peter Hall, who was also Predator. And he's in a pre-Predator, great underrated little 1980s horror movie called uh, uh, *Without Warning*, where he plays a giant alien, just like Predator, who throws bat-like creatures at people, you know, in discs. Mm-hmm. So if you've never seen *Without Warning*, it's one of the—I think you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's one of those weird but cool little horror movies not everybody has seen, but you can see why they got him for Predator because he's doing—he's doing a roadshow Predator like seven years early in this movie. Oh wow! I, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, you have to look at it up. Without warning, it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's underrated. It's unappreciated. I would argue, but prophecy. So um, he was the prophecy bear. So when I'm when I'm in the makeup lab, Rob confessed to me. His son Rob Rob Berman confessed to me that I, I mentioned how Stephen King mentioned. Remember the the dead baby bears in the. uh they have the really gro- gross dead baby bears with the giant eyes and the nets, that one part in the movie. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. You know, and Stephen King writes about how haunted he was by those baby bears. As a, It's set in Maine, but they shot it elsewhere. And, and Stephen King, I think they shot in Oregon or something. And Stephen King goes on about how haunted he was with the baby bear's eyes and the, the dead baby bear in the movie. And I go, Rob, show me the glass case where I can admire the baby bears. And he goes, they melted on the boombox, and I threw it in the trash.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, man!
4: Isn't that terrible? Isn't that the worst story you ever heard about prophecy?
3: Oh wow, that yeah, because that yeah, I mean, I would like to see. Well, I guess I would like to see them. They're
4: creepy, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And it's a great movie. The bear, the bear is making the weird sound, but the bear is sympathetic. I, if you want to hear, um. There's a documentary on on Tubi, I think it's on Amazon Prime, The 50 Greatest Horror Films You've Never Seen. I get to do my my I get to make the case for Prophecy, which I was more than happy to do so, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, excellent. I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. It came out the same summer as Alien. But but listen you guys, it never got into do because it opened the same summer as Alien. And anything is going to suffer next to Alien. And it came out 3 weeks after Alien. So yeah, yeah. A Poor probably is going to suffer an immediate comparison, but on its own it's a great Bigfoot type lost in the woods movie, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it
3: made an impression on me, that's for sure.
4: That's
2: yeah, for it kept sure. me well, up what for
3: did
4: weeks. week. what was the second feature? Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. What did you see it was? It had to be with another horror movie. Uh,
3: you know what? I I actually don't remember what the other movie was. Uh Wow, uh, yeah, that's a the, good the, the, the year's yeah, the years have not been kind, and that actually, yeah. I mean, I don't think it could compare. I think
2: it's I saw it on VHS um, in the dorm or something with a bunch of people.
4: Wow, <laughs> and you loved it, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to clam down this phone in your ear. <laughs>
3: So so let's uh you know, let's strap you in the geek seat and get these questions out and see uh see where your real geekdom lies. Uh wow. I expect a lot We're of these the are gonna be horror related, but we'll see. Uh Mike,
4: without further
2: Okay, ado, Pat, you ready for your first question in the geek seat?
4: I can take it, boys. Let me have it.
2: All right. What was your favorite geek out moment?
4: Wow, favorite geek out moment.
2: These are gonna be challenging, my friend. Don't worry.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Well, like, uh, oh wow, fair gig out moment. um Well, you know, like everyone else, I couldn't wait for Jason to fight Freddy, and when it finally happened, just seeing the first trailer when Jason was finally going to, you know, I knew the movie wouldn't live up to it, but just to see that finally happen mean uh, The the underrated Jason goes to hell. Oh sure, and the underrated Jason goes to hell when Freddy's club. Gov- Comes up and grabs Jason's mask. I I knew that entire sequence was better than anything they would do in Jason versus Freddy. Just to tease (laughs) Jason finally being Freddy. Because remember, when you're kids, you always argue. You know who would win Terminator versus Alien? Who would win? You know, uh, 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 Freddy versus Jason? You know what I mean? I mean, so to finally see it happen, even for a second, was just really exciting. So I guess I'll go with that one. I'm I'm trying to think of something better. You know, uh, you're always looking for that Superman meets Spider-Man moment where you're just so blown away that the two worlds cross. But I'd have to say that's probably Jason actually meeting Freddy, even for ten seconds, in the underrated Jason Goes to Hell.
2: No, that is awesome. Yeah,
4: that that. All right, let's
2: look at the flip side of it then. you, you. You ready? What is your most disappointing geek out moment?
4: The first Alien versus Predator. You know, because uh, that was the other fight I really wanted to see. And in fact, I interviewed James Cameron, and I demanded to know who would win in a fight between Alien and Terminator. Oh, and wow. And he looked at me, and he goes, he strokes his chin, and he goes, he goes, that's a great question. I could give it a lot of thought, but he goes, but since the Terminator is my guy, I'm going to put my money on him.
5: <laughs> and for me,
4: Alien versus Predator was one of those moments you couldn't wait for. And I think... If you see the second Alien versus Predator requiem, right, it delivers everything I was looking for. You know, it, it's disturbing. It's probably one of the most disturbing alien movies after Aliens. When the when the aliens are running around the uh, when the aliens are running around the nursery, oh god, taking the pregnant yes. woman's babies. One of the most effed up, disturbing things I've ever seen in the movie, and nobody saw the movie because nobody. And, and Jason, uh, Alien versus Predator, again, letting me down because I'll talk, talk, talk. I will say it's got a great final six minutes. And, and my geek out moment in that is when they do the, you know, even though it's a disappointment in terms of not fighting throughout the movie, they they take that alien shot you've seen fetishized in every alien movie from the scene where Yafik Koto gets it, where the alien pulls back his lips. And you see the middle teeth about the open, and you know the tongue is coming. And the predator cuts off his snout with a, a spear. I did not expect that. I got to give Paul Thomas Anderson props. That is that, an otherwise disappointing movie in that it's not they're not fighting throughout. I mean, when they do fight, it's great.
2: Oh god! Yeah. But
4: when he cuts off the snout with a spear, And you see the snout spin across the floor. Holy crap!
2: oh yeah because you were so looking forward when in predator 2 when you saw the alien skull you're like oh my god they're the same universe oh
4: this is gonna be great by the way by the way i freaking love predator 2 and and here's my controversial opinion i don't know if it's on your list i like predator 2 more than predator because it's wall-to-wall predator oh yeah the first one the first you know what i mean i mean They they, they, they have the great scene where the Predator grows his new hand in the bathroom, which, if you watch that scene, it's stolen from the Mother Knuckles scene from the Fury. Remember when Kirk Douglas smashes into their bathroom? Oh, that's
2: right. Yes. Yep. And I
4: love the Eastern, anytime I'm downtown, the Eastern building where you see the Predator on the roof Uh of the Eastern building. Right. It's one of the great iconic shots, you know? Just, I mean, and when you, like you said, when you see the skull and realize it's the same universe. You can Again, it's like Jason versus Freddy. You know, when the alien finally fights the predator, it won't be as good as that moment where you see the skull. And it means nothing to Denny, to Denny uh, Glover.
2: Right. But to everyone in the audience, we were like, <gasps> well, the movie theater where I saw it, at, yes, it was, yes. it was me and 10 other people. But yeah, we were all excited about it. Yeah.
4: What, geeks you... but also, uh, predator okay.
2: what geeks you out the most?
4: What what oh what kicks me out the most wow um you know what it, this is going to sound crazy but monsters fighting cops I think that's one of the coolest I could watch monsters fighting cops like in the Dark Shadows movie with the 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 blonde they, they just showed the Dark Shadows movie on TCM and a bunch of cops attack a female blonde vampire you're watching uh, uh, again in California all the local stations have been running vintage horror. I just caught um, I just caught Kolshak, the Night Stalker on oh. TV on the weekend. The Werewolf episode. The Werewolf is on a cruise ship, and he's fighting all the all the guard sailors on a cruise ship. Monsters fighting cops, like the creature, the guild Man, going at the cops and Monster Squad. I I think monsters fighting cops because you have an authority figure. You have an authority figure like the police. A sign of order against chaos. And they're fighting monsters which are complete chaos. That makes sense? Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, so when you see when you see in any great horror movie, you see the great moment where the cops or the SWAT team go up against the Predator. You go to every classic horror movie and see that. So anytime anytime cops go up against monsters, I it's like look out. That's my big geek moment, you know? And even Jaws, even Jaws is a even Jaws is a local cop fighting a uh, fighting a shark. It's a cop fighting a monster. That's true. Ending, that you know? is very
2: true. So what turns your geek off?
4: What turns oh, um any sport that's not hockey and anytime time uh anytime they pander. <laughs> I don't like I don't like when genre pander. You know, they'll cast a reality show star or they'll cast a big TW girl in a in a in a, a classic horror movie. You know, when when post scream and scream was really wild and inventive, but post scream, a lot of the horror you got was, was really clean antiseptic horror. That makes sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. They when, when, you remember when PG horror became a thing? You'd have a remake of prom night with nothing to do with prom night, you know? No. So <laughs> I, I don't want yeah, when when you do a when you do a toothless when you do a toothless remake, uh, it's, it's hard to get behind. You know. Oh yeah,
2: no, totally makes sense. And I'm gonna go out on limb here. Red Wings fan.
4: Huge Red Wings fan. <laughs> Huge Red Wings fan. <laughs> I had a feeling. Wow, there's no other team. I I I used to be true to my school. But unfortunately, uh, my brother won me a man cave where I got free pizza for a year from the Kings. So I have to like the Kings as well, but <laughs> I'm, I'm the Red Wings James with your pop and your brothers. Oh my God. There was nothing better.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know? My mother-in-law had to explain to me the whole thing with throwing the uh, squid on the, onto the ice.
4: Octopus, the yep. Yep. The octopus. octopus. They did. It cost them a couple of games. They have to be careful about mm-hmm. it. You know?
2: No, totally understand that.
4: And you have to make sure they're dead. A couple people got a little excited through live ones on there, which I think is horrible. All the poor things.
2: You know? The poor, poor things.
4: I know, I know. I, and then I felt bad about that. But yeah, no, no. Detroit and Detroit has a huge history of horror, too. Detroit has, there's a lot. If you're ever in Detroit, look up. There's some really scary Detroit history and with horror, you know? Cool.
2: We'll look it up. Definitely. What fictional character would you like to meet the most?
4: Wow, well, Kolshak would be cool. <laughs> We've well, we mentioned, yeah. Kols- Definitely. I mean, just a, a character like that, it's just, you know what I mean? There's nobody like him in the history of a genre of television, you know? Even when they did X-Files, they placed it up. He didn't, you know, the X-Files guys. Kolshak lied. I mean, Kolshak lied, and, and he did everything wrong to save the day. I always dug that. And when you look at everyone who's trying to do the Kolshak-type thing since, it's always, like, X-Files, an FBI agent or something.
2: Mm-hmm. What fictional character would you like to meet the least?
4: Well, any monster, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean uh, uh, I, the, the thing with monsters is the more you see them, the less effective they are. <laughs> you know, like, by the end of his movies, you got kind of sick of Freddy Krueger. You knew, you knew his shtick, and he just wasn't interesting anymore. So I wouldn't want to meet anybody I, I couldn't talk my way out of. You wouldn't want to meet a Jason or something where they're going to kill you. Whatever you do, Jason's still going to kill you at the end of the day, you know?
2: No, of course. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Ooh.
4: Wow. Oh, wow, wow, wow. That's a great question, actually.
2: I would hope so. I
4: love the word bru- I love the word gruesome. That always seems to go with the movies I like. Gruesome is one of the great, you know what I mean? I mean, anything, anything, any TV description of anything on HBO that uh, uh, a gruesome series of killings, you got my ass in a chair for the next 90 minutes.
2: <laughs> oh, that's totally awesome. I love that completely. That's a good one. <laughs>
4: what
2: is your, what you. is your ideal geek occupation?
4: Wow, well. I've been lucky enough to, like, write for genre stops, so I kind of dig that. Oh, well, probably, you mean like in the movies they do? It's always a writer or a journalist, so I always dug that, if that's what you mean. Yeah,
2: sure. This is your segment. It could be whatever you want it to be.
4: Oh, thank you. no. It's always the, the reporter or, you know, an inexplicable an series of gruesome murders always leads to the reporter getting involved. So I think that's my favorite because they've done it in so many movies. It's always kind of fun. Sure.
2: Oh, totally makes sense. Yep. What geek occupation would you not like to do?
4: Well, anything that would bring you in touch with a monster, a uh, uh, grave digger, a funeral director. You know? All the stuff in the genre that gets you whacked early on. Does that
2: make no,
4: sense? No, totally does. <laughs> no. Okay, Pat. You know anything? Anything?
2: Oh, no, go ahead. Finish.
4: Go yeah, anything that brings you in touch with the, the the title creature is bad, in my opinion. You never want to be the first guy to meet the when the aliens land. You don't want to be the guy waving the flag in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> never that for the guy number one would be the worst position possible. You know, the first guy to the the first guy to to walk up to the pit or anything else.
2: Nope, totally makes sense it's like what's hey what's behind this wall or
4: that guy yeah exactly exactly what do you think the mummy looks like
2: exactly <laughs> oh don't worry i'll be back
4: <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. well there's always the, there's always the uh hey let's make out in the crypt movie yeah, you know exactly. I mean?
2: hey let's go to the graveyard and make love you know yeah right <laughs>
3: Like 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 the people who like the the stupid kids that are like you know making out and doing things they shouldn't do. That's one thing I can't get behind them. But it's like the the camp like you know maintenance guy or the, the security guard. The guys that are just exactly. minding their own business, doing their jobs, and all of a sudden, like the monster just happens to like get in their way. It's like like those guys I really feel real bad for.
4: Yeah, yeah. At least the teenagers who can argue are blinded by sex, you know. And you've seen th- th- these <laughs> hot '80s girls in these <laughs> 13th movies. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'd be momentarily distracted while Jason was approaching because you're with somebody, you know. But at the same time, the guy who's checking—I'll I- use my favorite terrible example. There's a great world movie. If you haven't seen it, you should. Eric Red's Bad Moon, and uh, and in the movie, there's a guy. Who- for no reason at all, he's either meter reader or he's measuring trees at like two o'clock in the morning and of course he runs into the werewolf. I'm thinking, You have the worst job and now you're having the worst death, you know? Well,
2: exactly. <laughs>
4: right.
2: That's funny. All right, Pat. Are you ready for your final question in the geek seat?
4: Talk it to me, man. All
2: right, dude. What is your ultimate geek fantasy?
4: Wow. Let's see. Wow, wow, wow. You know what? (laughs) To bring it full circle, I would love to have, I would love to have been, when Roger Patterson first sees the Sasquatch and that amazing footage, which I hope isn't fake, I would, if it's real, I would have loved to have been there. I would love to have been, you know, uh, uh, there at that moment just to see, you know what I mean? it's one of those big, horrifying moments, you know, when in frame 257 when the Sasquatch turns and looks at the camera, and that was real. Wouldn't that have been the greatest moment? Oh,
2: god, yeah. And you probably would be that guy who's right next to him. Please tell me you got that on film. Please tell me you got that. On.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to be the guy. Let me go up there and see if it's real. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you come back here, get back here. Yeah. In these buddies, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be that guy. No. But I would love to to be there and see the, an ape-like creature walking around. Wouldn't that have been wild? You know. Oh,
2: dude, that would have been awesome. Well, Pat, I've got some great news for you, my friend. You've officially made it through the geek seat yep. You're one of us now. Congratulations! I have
4: honored. I will wear my blood wings on my cheeks proudly, boy. God, that is.
2: <laughs> Mister Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won.
3: You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $7.62. Wow, we've gone down. Shocker.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, the,
3: the, the 2020 oh, yeah. year, what it is. Exactly. But very cool. We are very, very excited to have you join us tonight. Um, what's, uh, what, what's something new or would people want to check out what you're doing? Where should they go online?
4: I'll tell you. Let's see. You can follow my all my books have their pages. And in November, in November, Keanu Lorber is releasing Buck Rogers in the 21st century on Blu-ray for the first time. And I do commentary. I wrote a Buck Rogers book. So I do commentary on 11 episodes, including the classic Jamie Lee Curtis episode, Unchained Woman. I'll tell you some freaky stuff. Yeah, you like that. It's right after Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis. Let's see. So you can check out all my books have their own pages, you know. And I'm on uh, Facebook, Pat Jankowitz. Uh, they have any questions? Um, all three of my books, especially Jaws, have their own sites where I'll put up like whenever somebody in a robot gets eaten, we usually put that up on the page. <laughs> 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 you know, just means I'm a safe Jaws companion. Um, so you can check out that I usually post one article or whatever I'm working on. And I'm the, as I mentioned earlier, I'm the thing in the cave in the new Danny Trio movie. Uh, I think it's called, uh, oh gosh, it's had like three different titles. Um, I think right now it's called, uh, um, it might be The Claws of Carnotis. I'm Carnotis, spoiler alert. So, uh, <laughs> so it's got like four different titles, but it'll be out before the end of the year. So watch for that. It's like Predator, but I'm on all fours and I chase people around like... I'm like this monkey spider thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am. has that one listed as the prey. So okay,
4: the prey, for about ten minutes it was prey of Carnoctus. I was thought, like, yay, I'm in the title. I am also. Uh, <laughs> I was the world for eating the swan team in last Halloween's uh, falling in reverse video. You know. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want if you watch that, you can uh, for the falling in reverse video. I basically eat a. Uh, Eat a SWAT team.
5: <laughs>
4: I the <laughs> best part. throw a female cop into the rafters, and as someone who likes monster fighting cops, it was a lot of fun. You know.
2: Oh, that's awesome! That is really, really awesome, man. Well, it's cool, Pat. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
3: Yeah, thank you, man. I hope you enjoy the uh, the the Halloween season.
4: I, hey, you too? i I'm like like one of the one of you Mike just mentioned. It's heartbreaking because. Halloween's going to have a big fat full moon. It's going to be on a Saturday night. And I mean, something. I know how Atlanta does it, but Southern California has a lot of great Halloween parties, all of which aren't happening now. Exactly. Right, right.
2: Totally understand that. Well, just be safe, sir. And we will (laughs) have you back on again soon.
4: Hey, boys, the pleasure is mine. Happy Halloween and have a good one, okay? All right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Thanks, man. Take care.
4: You do,
2: guys. Be well. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back in a moment with The Lost Boys.
0: Hey, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. If I kick the bucket tomorrow, the only thing I want people to think of me as or respect me or whatever is that I have done things on guitar that no one else has done. Eddie Van Halen said those words in an interview in 1984, and today there is no doubt that that is exactly how people uh, will remember him forever. And more importantly, he leaves behind a lot of people who uh, loved him, uh, looked up to him, respected him very much, including a son uh, who is a third-generation uh, musician in the Van Halen family. And uh, of all the things that were said last week, um, one thing I found that I really thought, you know, caught the whole spirit of, of things was by a, a music writer named Stephen Thomas Erlewine, and he th- he said. Thinking of Eddie Van Halen, the first thing that comes to mind is how much personality his playing had. It was big, giddy, and infectious as his oversized grin. Plenty of other guitarists picked up on his technical innovations, but they never seemed to have as much fun as he did. And I think that is so true, and it wasn't all David Lee Roth. Um, the, the whole band chemistry um, was about music that was heavy and rocked and was technically awesome, but was still fun, and we are all uh, very grateful for that. So travel on well, Eddie Van Halen. And on the same day uh, that Eddie, uh, Eddie left us, uh, Johnny Nash passed away at his home in Houston at age 80. Uh, he is most famous for one of those songs that everybody across generations knows has a life of its own, uh, I can see clearly now. And to end on a happier note, uh, Nathan Apodaca is still living his best life. He did a BBC interview and got to talk to Mick Fleetwood, who personally thanked him for single-handedly boosting uh, Dreams into a current hit, again, after 43 years. Uh, Fleetwood said he thought Stevie Nicks would also be celebrating. Hey, Stevie, nothing's stopping you from coming out and saying it personally. And... As of now, has received more than 20000 in donations from fans. Uh, he gave 5 k to his mother, bought his dad a truck, plans to buy his sister some stuff, too, for her house. Um, Ocean Spray was appropriately grateful for the free advertising. They've told him they want to collaborate with him, so I guess we'll be seeing ads. And they gifted him a new cranberry red Nissan Titan Pro 4X with a bed full of Ocean Spray products. The guy works in a potato factory. Um, He's taking a leave of absence. uh, And uh, in the words of another Fleetwood Mac song, how much you want to bet he's never going back again. And in the words of yet another song by Hot Chocolate, everyone's a winner, babe. Uh, This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog, iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. We will catch you next time.
5: Hey, everyone. This is Carrie the Metal Geek. And I would like to invite you to hang out with myself and my fellow metal geeks. As we have all kinds of discussions about heavy metal films and TV shows, video games, theme parks, comic books, and whatever else is tickling our geeks. Please visit our website at metalgeekspodcast.com and follow us on all the social medias, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at metal geeks. We are also proud members of ESO network. So you can check everything out at ESO network.com. Keep it metal. Keep it geeky, stay safe, and see you on the next episode.
1: Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet?
0: No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian.
1: Or a vampire so where are you
0: the fine nun i'm your brother sammy help me
4: stay back stay back
1: what's happening to me star get yourself a good sharp steak You're a vampire, Michael.
4: My own brother, a
0: damn blood-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till Mom finds out,
1: buddy. When a vampire buys it,
6: it's never a pretty sight.
0: Michael
2: McConaughey! Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our Station One. Now it is time to talk about the main topic. We are going back to 1987. Pre-Ashley, as we like to call this. We are looking at the Lost Boys. Yes, we are. Yes, this this is... This is uh, 1987. I cannot
3: conceive of this really being 1987. It feels like it should be later, but then when I watch it, I'm like, oh, no, it's 80s, definitely 87. Um, (laughs) With us, of course, we have uh, our two movie gurus. Ashley is here. Hello. And uh, Happy Halloween. Yes. (laughs) And Alex is with us as well. Howdy. Welcome to the... I I think this is the first time I think in a while we're doing an October uh, movie review. So thank you guys. Uh, I'm ashamed ashamed that we didn't do it before, because uh, this is right in everybody's wheelhouse, kind of, and it's fun to do. Uh, I'm always watching uh, classic horror movies, and now I'm really dating myself by considering this classic, but... uh, um, I guess we'll go jump right into it. Lost Boys, nineteen eighty seven, Alex. Hi there. Box office. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know the drill you, by now. You nah, thought he was I just trying to be nice to you. you
1: or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh you're looking at a movie that uh in nineteen eighty seven grossed uh thirty-two million dollars at the box office, um and was actually in its opening weekend number two. Uh, It came out the same weekend as a small film called The Living Daylights.
2: Oh, James (laughs) Bond.
1: So it actually came up against James Bond, uh, Bond beating it by twice as much money, actually. Um, But having said that, it did topple uh, La Bamba, Summer School, RoboCop, uh, Disney's re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and Superman IV, the quest for more money. (laughs)
2: Oh, wow. Kind of ironic. It's a Donner film too. I know, right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah. And that was a big, yeah, that was a big, you know, surprise to me. I'd seen the movie in 87. I remember being in the theater. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. in Worcester, Massachusetts and I saw this um, and uh, I enjoyed it at the time. Um, And I think I'd seen it a few times on cable since then but I don't know if I'd actually ever given it a full rewatch. So this is the first time I've revisited this movie in a long time. So it was a lot of fun to do uh, that big time. Uh, But we'll get to Ashley. Ashley, you, this is your first time watching this movie, right?
6: Yes, it is. I feel like I've been saying that a lot on these movie reviews in 2020. But it's fun to discover new things. Yeah,
3: It almost fits. (laughs)
2: Cry little sister. Who who would
3: have thought that going into 2020, we would review two movies starring Alex Winter?
1: Yes, (laughs) I did.
3: (laughs) Starring? um, (laughs) Yeah, well, this
2: is the first time I had seen Alex Winter. At the, in the movies, because this is pre-Bill and Ted by two years.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was not not interesting. It was not his debut, but, uh, it, uh, I think it says introducing, right? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe Mm -hmm. not. All right. So anyway, um, so what were your thoughts going into this? Had you heard about this movie and, uh, what, uh, what'd you think?
6: So I'd actually not even heard of this movie before, so I was excited oh, to just wow.
2: Wow. go in. I,
6: I'm coming I'm to sorry. join you. I'm coming to join you. I'm sorry.
2: Wheezy, it's the
6: big one. My heart. My heart. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> wow. Now we have to explain the heart attack reference to her because you know she doesn't know that. <laughs> no, so I, know. I know. I'm
6: so sorry. At first I heard Lost Boys, I thought, oh, something tied in with Peter Pan, but not really. Um, So I, when I checked it out from the library, I read the back a little bit. It's like, oh, this is vampires. Halloween sounds interesting. And watching the movie, I'd say was an intriguing experience. There were times during the movie when I was watching it and wondering like, what the heck am I watching here? I'm not sure I can last through two hours of this. But then there were other times when I caught myself chuckling. It's like, you know what? I'm having a good time. I think I'm enjoying this. So I feel that overall it was a positive experience and I hadn't really seen anything like that before. And once we're all past this, uh, once we're past COVID and can get together in groups again, I think this would be a fun movie to watch with your friends on Halloween night. Maybe you're all just a little bit tipsy and enjoying it in a group, I think would be the ideal way to watch this film.
3: Yeah, definitely watching it with a group. Um, I think is is fun. Um, Cause it is, it's got, I don't know if I would call it a comedy but it's certainly got comedic elements. Um, Oh, yeah. And and like a lot of movies in the 80s, um, it treats a lot of things lightly. (laughs) Yes. Like the 80s was infamous for treating like a lot of like dark things very lightly. Um, And so this is is right up there with that. Uh, Alex, what's your history with this movie?
1: Um, So I, first of all, I, I preface, of course, as always with the fact that I am not the horror buff in the room um mm-hmm. i am not a fan of horror i never have been this is one of those movies that i don't classify as horror um it is one that, that i truly enjoy and truly love um i have some wonderful stories from back in high school involving this um the especially with the soundtrack oh, uh, oh the is soundtrack was amazing easily the one of the best soundtracks of the 1980s possibly the late 20th century um but i it was one that i didn't see until it was out on video and uh you know i the, the biggest my biggest early remembrance of this movie is a band trip uh going from atlanta to daytona cuz that's where you want to take band kids <laughs> um and on the way down we watched two movies lost boys and robocop Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's, uh yeah.
3: And, well, one of those kids should be watching. <laughs> one of them was okay for kids.
1: Yeah. <laughs> was it, though? Was it? Uh, I mean, Robocop tells you that you should be rooting for the police, but I still don't know if it's good for kids.
3: <laughs> uh, Mike, what about
2: you? I was with you, Mikey. I was. You were very like you were. I was surprised. I was in (laughs) Worcester, Massachusetts. Surprise! (laughs) No, Uh, I knew you. We were going to become podcast hosts eventually. We live forever. We're immortal. We sleep all day and we have fun all night and record. It's awesome. So um, I actually saw this at the movies also, and the premise was what caught me. It was you know by people you know by the guy who did Superman you know. And, you know, and it just had a cast that really interested me and the poster caught my attention. The bright red and the black and white images in front of it and everything just was very striking. And then the soundtrack, the soundtrack was just Amazing, And I have a history with this soundtrack I'll talk about later, which almost cost me my life. So it'll be real interesting to tell you about that. But it was a great, great movie for the time. And Judy and I watched it last night. And a lot of it feels like it could have taken place today. And other than the the guy working at a video store, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's, you know, you were, you know, basically, but other than that, the beach community, you know, there'd have to be some modernizations, but overall it, you know, it could have been today. And I know they've made sequels and I've not even bothered reading the comics or watching any of the sequels or anything because I, to me, this is one of my eighty favorite 80s movies and it has a place in my heart for that. And yeah alex is winching at this one <laughs> i uh
3: I, I know that i mean i was i was intrigued uh i was into vampires um i have a history i like I, I was in a production of peter pan so that the connection of the two um was uh now you guys are wondering if i was
1: peter i was oh god vampire. i'm hoping you were peter <laughs> Oh,
2: dude i was wondering if you're I, gonna be I, tinkerbell come I on only i only visualize
1: you as peter now
3: uh we'll keep that mike we'll gordon in
2: that. green tights awesome we'll keep
3: that vision for for our listeners um, There's my but, happy uh, thought. um but yeah so and i think like this came out in july at the end of july and i remember seeing it in worcester where i was going to college so i did The thing is, I I wouldn't have been in Worcester in July for any reason that I could think of. So I must have waited to see it when college started back up. So it must have been playing for a few months. Um, I'm sure I heard the soundtrack. I'm sure, in fact, I heard the NXS song. Um, I was a big NXS fan at the time um, and still am. And uh, um, so this song was, you couldn't get away from this song. Um no, it's all over Jimmy, MTV. Jimmy yeah. Barnes did two songs on the soundtrack, and the other song mm-hmm. nobody knows. <laughs> this, <Nope. laughs> but this one everyone knows, uh, except Ashley. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh we'll explain who NXS is later, too. Um but uh um and and I liked it, like I said, I liked it at the time. Uh I thought it was pretty cool. It's got that 80s gothic weirdness to it um it's it's a dark movie but it's not r-rated so it's not that intense uh but you know for those of us in the 80s it had pretty much everything that we would come to expect from movies like this i think it's funny now when i see things i've never actually watched an episode of the goldbergs but when i see like ads for it and i see other things that try to recreate the 80s It's very strange to me. And there's always something missing. But then when I watch something from the eighties, like lost boys, I'm like, Oh yeah, you can't, you can't replicate this. (laughs) Like you Mm -mm. just can't like what people are wearing the hairstyles You know, the the, everything, like the music. The half-naked,
1: oily saxophone player. (laughs) He was all over the 80s. Uh... Oh, yeah, he was. He was Tina Turner's uh, saxophone player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. He actually had a career outside of being the half-naked saxophone player in a Joel Schumacher film.
3: (laughs) Tim Capello is his name. He still tours. He he came to Atlanta, I think, last year. Good Um, heavens. And, uh, and he's still in like huge, massively buff shape. So, um, uh, but I, I didn't, I don't know that for, I didn't go in person. So, but, uh, anyway, um, so this has a lot of great memories for me as well, just because it, it just represents a time period for me more. And, and I, it's, it's like a nostalgia trip, but I think it, it does work on its own. I love the premise. I love the premise that especially tying into uh, barry 's lost boys, um just the hmm. idea that these kids these boys will never grow up they 'll never get old, et cetera, et cetera you know, as the song goes um, my understanding is when the when it was originally written, it was supposed to be much closer to a tie in with the lost boys they were the boys were supposed to be much younger um the, boy, the names of the boys were supposed to, and and the other characters were supposed to be very similar to the ones in Peter Pan. Hmm. I think the only one that really is intact is Michael. Um, and
1: uh, <laughs> it know, just clicked with me. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> they uh, and you know uh, they say the name Michael. I think I read where the the, the word Michael is the name Michael is uttered in this movie 118 times. Um, which is probably about the same as one of the Godfather movies, yeah. <laughs> um, That sounds about right. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, you're forgiven Alex, because when your name is Michael, you could, you, you just perk up every time you hear the name. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Michael? Spoken. It's like, why? <laughs> exactly. The movie, the movie literally speaks to me. Um... Uh, so what, uh, let's get to like breaking it down a little bit more in detail. Ashley, what are some of the things you liked about Lost Boys? One of
6: my favorite things was seeing the, uh, sense of camaraderie and teamwork between Michael and his younger brother. I thought they did a good job capturing an authentic sibling relationship. You know, like they pick at each other sometimes, like there are periods where Michael thinks that he's too cool for his younger brother, but then how they really care about each other and then team up to fight these immortal vampires and end up going on this crazy adventure. So I really liked seeing their relationship. I also appreciated the twist with the uh, video store owner, Max, that was dating the mom, how it set it up like, oh, he's the vampire, but oh, he ate garlic. So he's fine. And then they brought it around again. It's like, he actually is the vampire. So I enjoyed how they played with that common trope. Like vampires can't be around garlic. And then, tricked the viewer so I thought that was kind of a clever twist and to the movie Mm. Mm
2: -hmm, because they invited him yes I wondered
6: when that when I saw that happen I thought oh he's the vampire but then they mess with you by having him seem not to be bothered by garlic so I did enjoy that trick and seeing just that he was actually the villain in disguise all along
3: now, is this your, um, you mentioned the brothers and in particular, uh, I wanted to see if this is your first foray into, uh, the Corys.
6: I th- I'm sure I've seen them in something before, but I can't place it exactly. I did enjoy the two kids in the comic book shop that were like teenage vampire hunters and based on their performance at, during the actual going to kill the vampires, it sounded like they had more practical, like, uh head knowledge than practical knowledge because <laughs> it didn't exactly go very well when they tried to raid the vampire camp. But <laughs> anytime you have kids kind of teaming up to stop these uh, monsters or supernatural forces, I think Stranger Things does this very well, just seeing kind of kids team up to save the day when all the adults think they're crazy. So I, I kind of like that element.
3: This is the uh, debut of uh, the two Corps Oh, really? Uh, appearing in a movie together. Um, Mm -hmm. They would go on to do, I think a few more. Um, uh, and it's a Come shame on, that, that
2: class, the classic license to drive. Come on. A <laughs> it's dream a, a little dream. Thank you very much. It's, it's okay. a shame
3: that neither Corey are with us anymore. Of course, Corey Haim, we lost cause he passed away. And Corey Feldman is just in outer space somewhere. I don't know where that guy is. <laughs> He's just out there. Um, Passing by one of the windows right now. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um But, yeah, this is the first time, and they, yeah, they would go on to have some success in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I didn't know. if, But I think at the time, Corey Feldman was the more famous one of the two. Uh, He had come off Stand By Me, uh, as well as Goonies, I think, right? Yep. Um, So, and then I think this is, that's one of the reasons that this movie was made, because of the Goonies. I think, uh, because that was also Richard Donner, right? Yep. Yes. So, so yeah, this is sort of like the Goonies fight vampires um kind of thing. Have you seen? I've seen
6: part of the Goonies, so.
3: Okay. At least it's not that. quite as lame
6: of an answer. I have seen part of it.
2: So. Okay. Well, you know, this podcast is just going to be called "What Has I I Actually Not Seen." Have I even seen
6: any movies at this point? I don't know. <laughs>
3: You know what? If things keep going the way they're going, we'll have plenty of opportunities. That's right. We, we you might
6: not be having movies. any new movies. Who knows when? So now's a good time to get caught up.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, to be fair, it's important to mention there's a copy of Goonies in Max's video store.
3: There is. Yes, of so, course. Yeah, there's a lot of little weird Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, I think the weirdest one is the picture of Rob low in in, Corey, in sam's bedroom i'm wearing like, half shirts <laughs> exactly because <laughs> schumacher had just worked with him on saint emma's fire i guess yeah yeah just, i just mm. wanted to put him out there but yeah i uh that was a that was mixed message right there um very strange yeah. um mm-hmm. <laughs> so Alex, what's something in this that uh in this movie you like a lot?
1: You gotta love Edgar and Alan the Frog brothers.
3: Frog brothers, um, oh yeah. I'm,
1: I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straight with you right here, right now. After watching this movie again, um I had heard uh nostalgia critic uh say something about this. And I was like, hmm, gonna kind of keep an eye out for that. Um Corey Feldman is the most realistic action hero of the 80s. Um, Everything he says in the film sounds like it it could be coming from Sylvester Stallone. Everything he says in the movie sounds like a traditional action star. And it works. This is absolutely Corey Feldman's best work because he owns this thing. When he's on screen doing what he's doing, talking about having, well, you know, just go ahead and kill your brother... Um, and he goes, we can't do it. Okay, well, I'll be over in a few minutes to take care of it. You know, it's like him explaining how they got how the vampires had gotten the drop on them by opening their eyes and screaming. You know, I mean that all of this is wonderful, and I the more He's I'm totally this,
3: convincing when he says no two vampires die the same. Yes,
1: <laughs> he goes through this dialogue. Of how how, the different ways they die and how horrible, you know, when he's talking about that smell you smell is the vampire. We're getting close. Every last bit of that sounds like this is old news to him. This is just Mm -hmm. what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And everything he does.
2: Exactly. Everything he does. He learned in a comic book. Yes, Of course. Yes. (laughs) Oh, and yeah, don't get me started on that comic shop. Oh, man, we're we, we,
1: we going to be ragging on the comic book shop later, but I know. Be, so. Before
3: this, I, I can't, you know, I doubt that either of the Frog Brothers had any sort of close to experience, like, practical experience disposing of vampires.
2: No. I and bet had, the grandfather had more experience than the Frog Brothers. <laughs> yeah,
3: I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right.
2: Grandpa, vampire. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. And the frog brothers would go on to, as I think you mentioned, I think they, they went on to do comics. They went on to do another movie or, yeah, or, or, yeah two or no, something. Yes.
1: Um, right? uh, Lost tribe, two movies, I think it is. Two, yeah.
2: There's yeah. two movies and there's a comic book series.
3: Right. Right. And so, um, uh, yeah, so it, it would, uh, they would go on, they were, they made a name for themselves. Let's put it that way. Both. Uh, well, and let's, let's be clear. The frog brothers are not the two Corries. Um, So, uh, I think, uh, the other, uh, frog brother, uh, uh, Alan, uh, gets the short end of the stick. He's kind of, you know, nobody really remembers him as much. He didn't, I don't think he went in and did as well. Yeah. Um, Mike, what's something you liked about it?
2: Oh, well, I liked, I liked the beach field I gave. It actually felt like, you know, summertime at the ocean. It was, very, it was kind of realistic with that, with the gangs and the the people hanging out just for the day and, you know, just people just everywhere. And because I at that time, I had been working summers in Ocean City, Maryland, and I was working at a tie-dye shop and uh, doing caricatures for people and then also doing tie-dyes. So it felt very, very familiar and it was a neat experience. For me to be able to, you know, see, you know, the beach, see the everything like that. So it's like that was that was really awesome. And I just like the dynamic between the mom and the two kids I thought was really well done. Dynamis and is
1: really the, good in this. Uh, oh, she yeah. was
2: awesome. But she's usually
1: awesome in everything she does. She is an Oscar winning actress. Let's remember that people (laughs) like she went for bullets over Broadway. I think like three years after this, Mm -hmm. like three or four years after this, she was an Oscar winner. Mm -hmm. So she went from this to to that to parenthood to all kinds of stuff. So yeah, but she's excellent. I love the, uh, the, the, there's a line at the beginning of the movie where the grandfather says, you know, you're the only person whose life didn't get better after divorce. And it it tells you everything you need to know about her character. She's the
2: lovable loser right there. Yeah. You know, I think, and that you know that explains it and but from the very first scene we're in the, the car and there's there's this is when they used to tune in the radio actually and you know they had a knob on the radio where you had to try to find radio stations and it not it was not all digital back then and i just loved it and it was it was just from that scene it was it was awesome and just how warped the grandfather was cuz i had seen that so many, that actor in so many things, he was Mr. Wizard, I think, wasn't he? Where he played Merlin, Mr. Merlin, that, that was it, wasn't he? Hmm. Hmm.
3: I don't know what you're referring to. There was a Sorry.
2: TV show called Mr. Merlin,
3: oh, okay. and
1: he played he played the lead.
3: I will take your word for that. Bernard
1: Hughes? Yeah. Yep. And to this day, I just watched it earlier today. You cannot convince me that Bernard Hughes is not Wilford Brimley. uh Bernard just didn't have diabetes okay so there
3: there we go um Mr. Merle in 1981 to
2: 1982
3: um for me the highlight of Lost Boys um the movie is Kiefer Sutherland as David um like I said I'm I'm a big vampire fan uh, a few years ago, uh, through the Halloween season, I named my thirty one favorite vampires of all time, and David is on that list he 's just so good the, the i mean he 's menacing he 's cool he 's dare i say sexy uh in an eighties goth way you know like i mean he 's got he ticks all the boxes uh mm-hmm. the scene where um <laughs> the scene where he 's uh um, He's sort of not seducing Michael, but he's got Michael there, and he's like like playing with his mind with the with the food the chinese food is is so fun um,
2: oh i I did that to my son after we watched it the first time <laughs> when we went out for Chinese. I love that I love that he was just like you know at the time, you know, hey, William, how are you liking your mag- maggots? And he looked down and was like, <gasps> you know, he played well. <laughs> it well. It was just awesome. But yeah, because at the time Kiefer had been playing a lot of bad guys at the time because he just got done doing Stand By Me.
3: He did Stand By Me and he yeah. was doing a few other things. I don't think he'd really come out of the shadow uh, of his father yet. Um, I think he was just starting to, but this movie like really helped push him into like oh yeah uh, another like Almost it's part of the Brat Pack, right? Um, this,
1: was, this was a very sex symbol role for him. Yeah. Um, because, again, you know, he was playing, you know, kind of secondary characters. And in this one, he essentially is the, the lead vampire of the group. Not the head vampire, of course, but certainly the lead. Um, right. And he's got more lot dialogue than any of the other vampires in the movie. You're
3: completely convinced by his performance, both character-wise and actor-wise, that he is the lead vampire. Yeah. Um, um, Once you find out who the real lead vampire is, you're kind of disappointed. You're like, oh, it's that guy. Like, he's not nearly as threatening. Um, And, you know, David uh, gets taken out pretty lame, I will say, um, uh, in a lame way. But... um, According to the script, and I think things that followed, he was not supposed to die there. Like it was supposed to live on. Uh, there was supposed to be a after credit thing or a thing at the end that showed uh, him that he was still alive, um, and uh, they had left the possibility for other movies. So that would have been interesting. Um, I think I think one of the movies he like one of the sequels, he is alive and he's played by someone else. Is that right? I don't know. I think but so. I haven't seen, well, I haven't seen Because origi-
2: so. originally he was, like you said, he was supposed to survive this and originally the sequels could be called Lost Girls.
3: Right. And, That's right. Yeah.
2: And, and Alan so. Moore,
3: Alan Moore messed that up.
2: <laughs> yep. Exactly. Thanks Alan Moore. <laughs> what has he ever done for the world? No. no. Ruining a movie like this. But yeah, it's, it was interesting because Kiefer was just – his presence, whenever he was on screen, it just lit lit the screen up. And it just – was it filled it completely, which was really awesome.
3: It's also very similar uh, around that time, uh, a huge book series. Anne Rice was killing it with uh, Interview with a Vampire and the Vampire Lestat. And this is not, like, very close in story-wise, but character-wise – uh, Lestat and Lewis have a very similar relationship, I think. So this is sort of like a, a teen version of of that dynamic, I think, um, where you've got this, like, you know, sexy rock and roll vampire and then a brooding, uh, you know, kind of quiet vampire, uh, low-key, which Jason Patrick th- plays. I mean, that's almost all the characters that he plays, right? <laughs>
2: It was pretty funny because a friend of mine, I, I thought, oh, this is the only time I have ever seen Jason Patrick. And there oh, was no. so much he was in. <laughs> was, and my friend was like, dude, that's speed. Time, that's speed, you know, that's speed, too. You know, it's yeah. like and he so many other things they started rattling off. And I was just like, damn. And then I, he told my friend also told me the story about how he started dating uh, what's Julia Roberts after he broke. She broke up with Kiefer. So it's just like, oh, dude, wow. Uh, Talk about a rivalry right there. Didn't she leave Kiefer at the altar? Wasn't it that yep. kind of thing? Yep, she was yeah. the runaway bride.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, whew. Yeah, Kiefer was making a name for himself both off screen and on uh, in the 80s and early 90s. Um. So yeah, I think it, you know, without, to me, a good vampire movie, you need a great vampire and, David is that. Uh, could there have been more with him? Sure. But, uh, you know, like I said, the scene where they're eating the Chinese food, the the, the scene where they're riding the bikes and they're racing uh, is pretty menacing. And then the scene where they sort of jump off the bridge. I mean, that's creepy stuff, I thought, you know. I mean, that's why I sort of back off the, the comedy elements. It seems like there is a lot of comedic elements, but I can't really call it a comedy because there's a lot of scenes in here that, Are really freaky and are warranted like they they uh you know check the boxes of like a horror movie that's what this you know
2: it was interesting because i thought you know a little bit that their budget for the special effects must have not been that high in this because they didn't show the vampires really flying all you heard was from the camera point of view and that was all you know just a hanging mic you know throwing in and everything and it was just, it was interesting to see, you know, you, you did have makeup for the vampires, like when they changed their faces, and uh, Kiefer's feet when he was hanging upside down. Yeah, cool. The, uh, the, the,
1: the, the POV for the flight uh, was really a, a neat effect for the film. And it saved them money, clearly, um, because they could just go, this is what it looks like when they're flying, except in one scene. And the scene is when they're flying out of the cave to take the big climactic battle. Why are we seeing it backwards?
2: Yeah. There is no, no reason I...
1: for any of them to be flying backwards. We should not be seeing them leaving, <laughs> you know, see the cave as it moves off into the distance. We should see us getting out of the cave and flying <laughs> to the house. And and instead we get it backwards. And I'm not sure why there that was
3: is. No, it would have would have helped if there was an audio cue. Beep, 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 beep and then back
1: yeah. <laughs> it I honestly wonder if maybe that scene where it was supposed to be them flying into the cave was not used in the movie and instead was inverted for that scene instead. Mm-hmm. Um simply because it of all of the sequences, it's the one that took me out of the movie. Well, yeah, it, you know, I could see that.
3: I and I wouldn't, you know, I mean that could be possible, but also um you're dealing with a director here in Schumacher that uh you know, really if the choice is between making sense plot-wise or, you know, creating an atmosphere, he'll always go with atmosphere.
2: Yeah, oh, of course. uh you know. I thought and- the be- I thought the best way they did it was at the beginning of the movie with the security guard. I thought that was really well done. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
3: Again, that was a horrifying scene and, and Mm -hmm. they, you know, PG 13, they had to keep it there. They wanted to keep the budget down. So they use that. I mean, I know that Hitchcock gets credit for this, but they use that tool where less is more like, you know, they're limited by, but they let you use your imagination. And I think it makes it even creepier. Those scenes. I think they're really well done. I think it is some of Schumacher's best work here. Um, Uh, Ashley, anything else about the movie, the characters, something else, uh, either positive or negative about the movie? You said that you had mixed feelings about it. I'm kind of wondering what didn't work for you.
6: Well, it took me a bit, I think, just to adjust to the tone. Like there's definitely some elements of camp to it, contrasted with these moments that are very scary. But I think I started to enjoy it more once I just kind of embraced what it was. Like, there are going to be some scares. There's going to be some really campy, over-the-top moments. But that's just part of the ride. And if you just go with it, you're going to have a good time. So I think by the time we got to the second act, I kind of settled in and was processing the movie a little bit better and more fun. But kind of also what you said, I did appreciate that they didn't show the vampires right away because I think it is scary. We pretty much know there's something up with Kiefer Sutherland and his crew, but mm-hmm. I like that they kept you guessing for a little bit and just giving you little pieces of the revelation of what's going on.
3: A little, uh, little bit of trivia. Uh, when the vampire crew is introduced on the merry-go-round, they are introduced in the order that they die.
6: at Ooh, that is interesting. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, I always thought that was pretty cool. Um, and the
1: movie does say in introducing Alexander Winter as Marco. Oh, OK. Well, That's what I thought. Despite like, the fact that this was not his first movie.
3: Right, 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 right. I was thinking that I was like, um, yeah, I thought he did some other stuff before. Yeah. Then, but but yes. Um, uh, and great makeup on him, too, by the way. I mean, out of the, all the clan, like, you know, he stands out as I think he stands out second to only Kiefer. Uh, Alex's character. Because the other two just kind of look like these guys from a hairband,
1: really. Ooh. Hmm. It depends I on what you, sister. It, it depends on what you were into in the 80s. See, I was a fan of the TV show American Gladiators. Ah, and in okay. the very first season, one of the contestants that made it all the way to the semifinals was Billy Worth, who wow. was the brunette Vampire in Lost Boys. I
2: did not. Whoa!
1: So I recognized Billy Worth like immediately, and,
2: and like, I was oh. like,
1: "Oh my gosh!" You know, and and wait, maybe maybe sports television shows are fake, and maybe that's why I enjoy wrestling so much. But um, <laughs> yeah. So so like for me, he stood out. First of all, he stood out because he was the only brunette in the group. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a Billy Worth was a first seasoner on American Gladiators.
3: Wow. And, is he uh, the one who wow. was taken out in the tub? No, he's no, Death by Stereo. Death by, death by Stereo, yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, Death by Stereo, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, they just kind of blended to me together. Yeah. Uh, like, they just, I, I can't, I didn't differentiate them um, as many times as I've seen this. Um, the uh, the other thing we haven't talked about, and maybe it's a negative, I don't know, Ashley, we'll start with you on this, is Jamie to star.
6: Um, yeah, I thought that her character was fine. I I thought it was interesting that she was a vampire. At first, I thought it was just some kind of, maybe she was a captive of them and she didn't fully know who they were, but I, I liked that she was a vampire and the idea that they only had so long before they could switch back. I would have liked to see maybe a more active role for her, see her to be part of the fighting a little bit more. Cause I mean, she is a vampire. So she would have the super strength and all those other powers, but I thought the idea of her character was fine. Just would have liked to see a more, have a little bit more for her to do in the film.
3: Yeah. I think she's a half vampire like Michael mm-hmm. is. Yep. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and the, and the, and the, her, the little boy, well, they, uh, even, as well. they even, they yeah. even
2: said that Michael was supposed to be her first kill. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. Um, and, uh, but I think you're right. I think, you know, if this movie is made today, she gets a lot more characterization mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because she's sort of looked at as something. I mean, she's she's really in there just to be a pretty like to, for bait for Michael. Mm-hmm. And and even though they kind of connect, there's nothing really to that that I mean, the movie tells you that they connect. But you, I don't think you really feel it, uh, between them. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think they do kind of drop the ball with her a little bit on this. Um, but then again, it's played by Jamie Gertz. So, um, not that I hate on JD Gertz, but I can't think of too many other things that I saw her in that I really appreciated. But Solar what Babies, her.
1: what <laughs> I, Twister? Come on! I,
3: you know what? I haven't seen either one of those movies.
1: Solar Babies oh, also what? featured Robert Patrick.
3: <laughs> oh wow! Which
1: is how he got her onto the set.
3: Uh, yes, I, uh, that's true. I do know that they worked together, uh, yeah. before that. Yeah. So yeah. Or they've worked together since then, or I don't know. They, yeah. they knew each other. Let's put it that way. Um, so, uh, Alex, what about you? Is something else about the movie, either positive or negative? At this point? Know, I
1: I'll, I'll certainly echo that. I, I don't feel like star was given enough to do. And that was a problem with a lot of the eighties action films mm-hmm. was that the female was there to be the love interest or the hostage
3: it's It's yeah, like look um, at uh look at, I mean, I hate to say anything negative about it, but even like back to the future, like oh, yeah. Marty's girlfriend is barely mentioned, yeah,
1: yeah, she's kind of persona mm-hmm. non grata, yeah, I mean, so much so they in were the able whole, to replace it, her in the sequel in
3: the whole trilogy, yep. like you know, yeah. Yeah. so let's just put
1: her on the porch, uh, put then. her on the porch, she'll be fine, yeah, and if
3: It'll that's be. the standard that all the eighties movies are using, then yeah, that's you yeah. don't get too many other examples of mm-hmm. great. Great women characters.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, all in all, I thought she was fine for, for what she was supposed to be. Um, there's, uh, there's just a lot of really cool in this film. I will say that it... The bathtub scene is a little odd. Um, and there's a lot of weird that goes on in this film. There's a lot of references made in this film that for the age that these kids are supposed to be, shouldn't be happening. Bloodsucking Brady Bunch, uh, The Flying Nun. Um, oh, there's another one that he makes that's just like, you know, for the MTV generation, this should not have been like y- commonplace yes, pop culture. No, uh, Yes and no, because uh, no. Cause no. no cause those quotes yeah, those no, yeah, were cause... in there for people who are in their 20s in 1987. No, because well, I was still be... in my... Yeah, because I, mean, I was—I just age. turned twenty. Yeah, yeah, and, and everything we grew up with those
3: stuff in reruns, right? Mike? re
2: a lot of reruns, exactly. So that was Channel Five and Channel Twenty was Brady Bunch, Flying Nine, you know, all those things. And so the kids probably they didn't have cable back then. Remember, they had only so many channels. Well, they just got cable. Like oh, they gotten
1: cable because they said there's no MTV. Right. Yeah. No TV. Exactly. No MTV. Well, yeah.
2: But it was, I love that line from the grandfather. I have TV guide. Why do I need a TV? I don't need a TV. <laughs> love I've got a TV I
1: got TV love that.
4: So awesome. yeah.
1: That's a great line. Um, the, the, there was a couple of uh, product placements that slipped in. That I thought was very nicely done. Uh, they didn't over, they didn't over, overdo it. Um, carnation milk. The carnation yes. milk and double <laughs> stuffed Oreos. <laughs> oh yeah. Um
2: Oh, I wanted that Jim Morrison poster or sign that they had in the cave it was just awesome. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's another Easter egg. Because, uh, of course, uh, Schumacher apparently knew the music that he wanted uh, right when he was shooting this. So it wasn't like something that was done afterwards. Um, so because I know that I had heard anyway that Kiefer Sutherland was going to say no to this project. And then he found out that NXS was involved in doing some music for it. So hmm. he, he signed on because he liked them a lot. Um so, mm-hmm. and, and yes, I mean, there is a doors poster in the vampires hideout. And then I believe it's either in one of the video stores or in uh, the house. I think Michael's room has an echo in the Bunnymen poster. poster. Yeah. So you've yep. got, you know, both, uh, both, uh, groups that do people are strange, uh, in, in represented here. Um, so that that's a great tie in. Cause Mike, let's talk about the soundtrack. Oh, soundtrack was just because I I am. You know, you 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 let us out there. You let us out there with the story that's you know that that life changing. So, oh, uh, it was. So we're all waiting.
2: Oh no! I was such a huge fan of the soundtrack. The soundtrack was just amazing. It had you know, basically you know, it was Jimmy Barnes and in excess doing the easy beat song. You know, good times. And for those who don't know, Jimmy Barnes. Uh, Was the lead singer of a Australian band called Cold Chisel, and they were huge. They never made it big in the United States, but throughout the United, through Australia, the UK, and New Zealand, they were huge. So it was it was great that, and um, you also had you know Roger Daltrey doing Elton John, you know, "Don't Let the Sun Shine on Me," Mm -hmm. and the story behind that is when I 1987, I was going for my first degree. I was up at. uh, Frostburg State University in Western Maryland, and my roommate and I took a road trip, and we were listening to the soundtrack, and we were up on some mountain road, and a deer ran out in front of us, and we swerved out of the way to miss the deer, and we went over an embankment and flipped the car four times. We both survived, just scratches on our arms and everything. Car was totaled, but during when we were hanging upside down, the soundtrack was still playing and everything. So it that's why it has a special point point in my life and wow. everything. So
3: just like the vampires, you were hanging upside down. Oh, to I was the hanging song.
2: upside down. Hell, when I flipped, I felt like it was an amusement car ride. You oh know? man, that must have been yeah. And this is pre pre airbag. Yeah, <laughs> so so it was it was crazy. But this whole the whole soundtrack that's you know Cry little sister, and you know it was there was just so many good songs on this. On the, t- at the time, the album, because this is pre CD. And, you know, this is just before the CD started hitting and everything. So we had it on cassette. That's why we were playing it in the car. Yep. So it was pretty awesome. So, but yeah. yeah, the music, the music, and even they did uh, Walk This Way, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, on, it's not on the,
3: the soundtrack, but it's yeah. definitely noticeable Run, in Run DMC
2: uh, was yeah. right there at the bonfire. Yep. yep. And, and there, you know what
3: happens to people who listen to rap?
2: yep they get Be eaten, by, eaten vampires. by vampires
3: that's right exactly right right
2: so they called <laughs> them surf nazis in the in the credits yes they are they're
1: listed as surf nazis they're not skinheads or but yeah. that's yeah. You know, that's what they were called i mean you know because there was a lot of stuff there was actually a trauma movie called surf nazis must die mm-hmm. um that I came out around that. the same time so yeah 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 it's very
3: loose using the term nazi very loosely yes uh,
1: it's like a yeah you know, um I almost said something that got, that got me in trouble, so sorry about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now we wow. can't play yeah. Be careful because we won't be able to play this
3: uh podcast in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> um Very anything else Nazi Germany anything else about the that? soundtrack? I, I, uh, uh Ashley, did it did it did it reach you? Or was it like kind of like, oh, that's songs from the the beyond days?
6: I regret That's to say, I think, I think I've confessed this before, but like 80s music is not, not really, much thing. Right. but I felt like it fit in well with the tone of the movie, even though it didn't speak to me, it felt like it fit in with what the film was trying to do. And it's so what I have nothing against it. Just one of those, just not for me personally. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's It's a, it's a soundtrack that actually stands really well on its own. Um, yeah, and very much like so. I, cause I played the hell out of my cassette, uh, when I was able to get it on CD, I played the hell out of the CD. Um, mm-hmm. it, cause it's just one of those ones where all, every piece of the music on there was really, really good. And, um, I, I just think it's, it's one of the superior, uh, soundtracks. Like I said, I, I definitely think of the, of the eighties and possibly even of the 20th century That's just, so solid and so good. And that's a lot of it has to do with the fact that they didn't go with the normal mainstream. Um, no, to go they went with, less... with off kilter, uh, early alternative, uh, essentially.
2: Well, well yeah, I mean, alternative had... has been around by that point. But In Excess wasn't the big juggernaut that they became at that point. Yeah, yeah, they were, were just on the, on the brink Yeah, of they. Maybe. You had Lou Graham from Foreigner yeah Lou know, Graham
3: and Roger Daltrey were classic rock guys yeah, exactly. uh, Echo and the buddy yeah was was
1: right on the edge. they were more college radio at that time, yeah, I just want to see if you two will keep saying the same band at the same time because <laughs> this is entertaining as hell
3: I actually the Tim been doing this song podcast way too long
1: <laughs> the, 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 the Tim Capella song always uh, throws
3: me because uh, i'm I was a fan of the call and it's a it's a great call song, and uh, I always am like is that the call singing that or they just dub him? And, but apparently he really did perform it. So um, uh, I give him credit for that, but it's a, it's a great song too. Uh, I will say I'm not as familiar with some of the other songs like Eddie and the tide or uh, Thomas Newman, uh, mummy calls on this stuff on the soundtrack. So maybe the second half of the soundtrack is not that great, but, but cry little sister is going to be in my head now for three weeks. Uh, I've already found myself humming it. Like, Yeah, they really, like, Gerald McMahon really did a great job in creating this theme and making it iconic. They use it, like, you know, four or five times in the movie, and it just fits. It adds the atmosphere. It gives you everything you need uh, in this movie, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think we've covered The Lost Boys now. Uh, So overall, Ashley, thumbs up, thumbs down. Where do you stand?
6: Yeah, I would say, say, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed watching it. It wasn't my most favorite, but I was, uh, I was entertained by it after I finished watching. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm glad I got to see that. And I just enjoy trying new things that are a little outside my uh, cinematic comfort zone. And one of those that I'm particularly interested in lately is maybe starting to dip my toes just a little bit into horror, which is a genre I never thought I would want to get into. But Films like this are kind of helping me explore it. Like, it's not like all out scary. It's got some comedy, some camp. So,
3: yeah, Lost Boys is a good, good way to dip your toe. And it a, is. There's a lot of like 80s horror movies that are like this, like Vamp or Once Bitten or uh, Fright Night that are very much like part mm-hmm. comedy, part horror. Uh, to be okay, fair, though, night.
1: stay away from vamp and once bitten. Okay.
6: <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Yeah,
1: Fright, night, <laughs> and, Fright Night would be good. Fright Sprod. Night is the way to go. Monster Squad. <laughs> <God>,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: Um, any last words from you, Alex, on the movie? Love the film. Uh, I think it's terrific. I will say this. Uh, I know that uh, if Hollywood exists in six months, uh, they still have no original ideas and it occurs to me that while a lot of this movie is timeless it is very dated mm-hmm. and i kind of wouldn't hate the idea of bloomhouse doing a remake mm. and putting the bloomhouse spin on this uh, on this kind of film i think they could do a great job with it although i imagine the oily half naked guy at the beginning would be probably Uh, an uh, an emd musician so uh or edm musician so um but no i'd be some kind of rave or something like. yeah yeah Yeah. um which is fine by me because i love the idea of just a vampire rave um because i've seen the movie blade um (laughs) i i i really love this film i think it's a great one i'm so glad we got the chance to do this one um and i think if you haven't seen it it's worth checking out Mike, any last words?
2: Alex said them all for me. It's pretty I'm sorry. awesome. That's
1: all right. No, you, it was good.
2: It's, it's great that when so, we so, agree so, on this kind work. of stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's um, we have I don't, don't want to see this uh, remade because they came out with some really bad sequels. And I don't want to see that go down that path. And I just, I enjoyed this one. This one is, I hate my adolescence or my older adolescence. And it was just a lot, you know, this has a special place, obviously, for me. And, you know, the music, the soundtrack, the movie itself was fun. There were parts of it, you know, I, this time watching it was just like, uh yeah, get through, go to the next scene. I know it's coming, you know, that type of stuff. But overall, I just loved it. The acting, the acting was campy, but it was fun.
3: There are, there are movies that are products of their time, and this is definitely one of them, I think, and it, it just stands as a product of his time, and that's okay, uh, because I, I love everything about it because of that. Um, if it was to be remade, like I said, I like the concept of using like, you know, lost boys, uh, Peter Pan tie in with vampires. I think there's some other things that could be played around there. So if someone wanted to, you know, try to do their own spin on that, that would be kind of cool. I do fear that if they remade this, it would be either really, really, really dark and it would lose some of the fun, Mm uh, or it would be a parody, um, which, you know, there aren't too many movies that come out these days that walked that fine line so it would be a very tricky thing for someone to pull off so but if someone wanted to attempt it i would you know i'd try to check it out um the sequels Do, your uh, work, that you're one thing
2: no the sequels no but i would have loved to seen the original script for yes this, me too when they me were too. all kids and everything yeah, yeah. and everything yeah, that so would have that been could creepy have been, <laughs> how star yeah star was even supposed to be a, a boy That's true. That's true.
3: Yeah. In the original. Well, I say it would have been creepy, but it would have been, like I said, Donner was doing it and I think it was along the same lines as Goonies. It was basically Goonies meet, you know, vampires. So that Mm could have been really fun as well. Mm -hmm. So...
2: And they well, could have had cool. the fatalities in it. It would have been awesome, you know?
3: Well, um, uh, yeah, we want to hear from you guys. Particularly, let us know if the sequels are worth checking out at all. I mean, Mike and I are like, yeah, and even Alex are like, yeah, Ashley's not going to go near the sequels. I can tell you that. But, <laughs> you know, and Alex and Mike are shaking their heads. No, no, no. I'm curious if there's anything about them worth watching. Um, so let us know if you've seen them or if we should definitely stay away. And uh, let us know if there's other Halloween movies that uh, we should uh, put on our agenda for next year. So um, with that being said, we will be right back. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
5: Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take, I'm your host Angela, and this week this geek girl is talking about the South Park quarantine special. So there hasn't been much new TV in the last few months due to the pandemic. Well, South Park put together a quarantine special that not only addresses a lot of the issues with quarantine, but also focuses on other social issues going on right now, like the police and the election. It has a very good balance of silliness and commentary, like South Park does best as well as a few other rather amusing things thrown in there, like songs and cameos. I think one of my favorite moments was Cartman faking his computer freezing up during class and then placing a photo of him to make the teacher think that his computer had frozen so that he could go off and goof off in his house and eat his cheesy puffs like cereal. Also, his social distancing song during this scene is really, really funny to me. It was probably my favorite song in the whole show. This whole episode is a humorous look at something that isn't really funny, but they're taking it seriously while also making fun of a lot of the issues that have popped up in the world now. Their version of Mickey Mouse also terrifies me. He is one scary mouse and he makes an appearance in this episode because he was in there a lot last season too, but I'll let you find out what he has in play with this. This episode also focuses on Randy's weed business and how every time there is an event, he makes a special for it. So he had his Christmas special, he had his Halloween special, and now he has his quarantine special. So we also get to see how Randy is just a sellout altogether for everything and how he named his farm Tegrity, but he really doesn't seem to have much integrity. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, Hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network.
2: So let's go wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our crew for being here. Of course, Alex Autry. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure.
1: Uh, love the group. Love the topic. Uh, always a fantastic experience. Anything you want to shout out about my friend? Uh, yeah. You know what? We're seeing um, Regal close 583 of its stores um, at least until the beginning of next year. Um, if you have an independent theater that's at all open, go buy a gift card. Help them out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's or go buy decide. popcorn. Buy. Yeah. Just anything. do something for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, totally agree with that one. And Ashley, thank you, my dear.
6: Oh, thank you. It is always a pleasure.
2: I love opening your eyes to new movies. <laughs> we have, I have a list like this long <laughs> of movies that I'm going to be surprising her with. So it's going to be awesome. Anything you want to shout out about?
6: Um, I'd actually just like to echo what Alex said about the importance of remembering and supporting our local theater's During this time, it was interesting watching the Lost Boys and just thinking, oh, this movie, I think, would be a lot more fun in a group and just realizing how important those communal experiences can be. So whatever you can do, just don't forget about your local theaters, because when things go away, sometimes it's hard to get them back.
2: Exactly. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's not going to come back. And, you know, there is nothing like going to the movies to Mm -hmm. see a film. It's a unique experience and it's something, you know, I don't want to tell my grandkids, you know, oh, when, you know, when your dad was young, I used to take him to the movies once a week. And this big room that had lots of seats and you got to see, oh, and they go, oh, just like the projection holograms. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) But but yeah, you know, it, I don't want it, you know, it'd be great if more drive-ins popped up or something. But, you know. It'd be great to see that happen, too. But, yeah, like Alex and Ashley said, please, please, you know, support your local movie theaters. It's a big thing in this day and age. And Mr. Mike, thank you so much, sir.
3: As always, it's my pleasure.
2: Anything you want to shout out about?
3: absolutely um first off uh, i know she didn't mention it but Ashley, that was a great article that you wrote uh as always uh for eso with the uh network page the uh the rediscovering or discovering horror movies much like you've done with the uh western and not uh, condemning an entire genre <laughs> um Uh, So I I definitely um, appreciate that, and uh, I think uh, you've made some interesting points there, especially about how relevant horror movies can be, Um, and I think people should check that out. Plus, I also want to give a shout out to they used to be on the network, but uh, they went their separate ways. And we still love those guys. When I'm talking about the spooky dudes, uh, you definitely want to check them out, uh, especially this spooky season. Um, Corey and Eric are still doing their thing. In fact. They just uh, are reaching episode 100. So they are reaching their centennial episode. Uh, perfect timing for that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're picking as a movie to review there or what they're doing for episode 100, but you'll definitely want to check it out um, and check them out because they are. Uh, look, we didn't think they last five days. No, just
2: nope. <laughs> didn't. No, not with their track record, but you know. But no, yeah, but, they're a great uh, bunch of guys. They really are.
3: Yes. Yeah. We still see them. It's it's one of the shames of not being at Monsterama uh, this past weekend was not seeing them because we always see them at Monsterama. And, we do. We uh, do. And uh, it's good to hang out with them. So, uh, guys, congratulations on reaching episode 100. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend people check them out this this season.
2: Okay, that's definitely true. My shout-out, you know, I feel really bad talking about this now. Alex and Ashley were like, save the movie theaters, save! <laughs> and, you know, I basically had a TV review real quick. Judy and I are late to the the screen, but we finally started watching Shits Creek. And it was awesome. We just finished the second season already. And, my God, it is awesome. It is a slow burn. Kind People have been comparing it a lot to Good Place that the first season. It just takes a little bit to get warmed up and then for them to find the characters. And my God, these people are some of the most shallow people I have ever, ever met. And Myra Rose is a character and should have had a museum all to herself. You know, Catherine O'Hara is just amazing. And it is just an awesome show. And, you know, why didn't I watch it sooner? I don't know, but it was a blast. And we had a, we were having a great time watching it. So probably by this time next week we'll be done with it. So, cause there's only six seasons, and each episode's like 21, ep- 21 minutes long. So it is so easy to binge. It's, it's awesome. Definitely check it out. And Mr. Mike Gordon, what do we got for next week?
3: Next week, we continue the countdown Halloween, and we've got a very, very special episode uh, that we're recording next week with you guys. Uh, Mike, of course, will be here with uh, the award-winning Mark Maddox, and we will be talking to Victoria Price. She is the youngest daughter of Vincent Price. Uh, She's in charge of the Vincent Price legacy. Uh, She's written a book, a comprehensive book about her father, and um, we're going to celebrate uh, her father, the uh, Master of Menace and uh talk to her all about him and and the stuff she works on as well um so we're going to do that next week we're very excited and very honored to have her join us so don't miss out on that one it's going to be a very special episode of the air station one podcast
2: Ooh, you know, talking about 80s stuff and then when we go talk about a very special episode. You know, it's, <laughs> makes me, it's like, I didn't really want to go there. But behalf I'm sorry, of, did I say special? A very spooky episode. That's a little that's better. Like... That's a little better. On behalf of myself, Ashley Pauls, Alex Autry, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, thank you everyone for listening. We will see you here next time on your Station One podcast. Stay spooky and stay safe. Peace. And we're done. Boom